0: The friends and partners of Kevin Inman Ministries present Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. Pastor Kevin is committed to equipping you to earnestly contend for the faith. For more information on Pastor Kevin and Contenders Radio, please visit our website at www.kevininman.org. That's www.kevininman.org.
1: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Contenders Radio with Kevin Inman. I'm your host, Kevin Inman, and uh, this is Contenders Radio. How's that for a great introduction? Hey, we're talking today about part two of the state of theology or the state of the church. It's actually the state of theology in America. So we're talking about what... The surveyed evangelicals believe about Christianity here in America, and so this report was done, if you'll remember from last time, and if you did not catch that earlier edition of Contenders Radio, it was sometime last week, Um, it was called The State of Theology Part 1, I think that was episode number 4 of our new uh, new and improved, maybe. I'm not sure. But it's new, nonetheless, uh, this new edition of Contenders Radio. But here we're talking about part two of the State of Theology. And this was a joint effort by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research Today. 2018 survey. I know they did another one in 2016. This is a follow-up to that. Not real sure. Haven't looked into whether or not they did any prior to 2016. But if you would like more information about this, first of all, I would encourage you to check out Contenders Radio. I believe it's episode four. It's it's part one of The State of Theology in the Church in America, and uh, you could listen there, um, but also you could go to thestateoftheology.com, thestateoftheology.com. I'll be honest, I downloaded this report from Ligonier Ministries. I don't uh, do a whole lot with Lifeway, and um, I have not been to thestateoftheology.com website, but um, this was a joint effort with Ligonier, so I would assume it would be fine, um, But again, I received this from from Ligonier Ministries themselves directly. So I may even try to link to this from the uh, Facebook page, Kevin Inman Ministries or uh, Contenders Radio. I'm not sure how to even find my own ministry Facebook page. I think it's Kevin Inman Ministries, but you can check that out. Just Google, search, uh, ask Siri. Somebody surely can point you in the right direction. But again, this was a, a survey Asking self-professing evangelicals What they believed About God, about Jesus, about sin Eternity and things like that If you were with us on the first Episode, this will be just a very quick Review, and by quick I mean just about a Four hour review, condensed Down into just about uh, 30 seconds Or so here, but the very first Question, the statement here in this report Says um, that everyone sins a little But most people are good by nature And sadly, the report found that 52% Of evangelicals, just a slight majority of evangelicals or professing Christian evangelicals uh, actually agreed with that statement that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Folks, that is um, just outright contradictory to what the Word of God declares, what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, not even one. In fact, we're steeped in sin at birth. So that is completely contradictory uh, to what the 52%, the majority, the slight majority of self-professing evangelical Christians believe. Uh, we also know from Romans 3.23 That all sin and fall short of the glory of God uh, There's none good, not even one Again, Romans 3.10 We also know that our best deeds Our most righteous um, acts Are nothing more than filthy rags We see that in the book of Isaiah So this is completely, flatly contradictory To the clear teachings of Scripture We are radically corrupt And um, that is sad We also saw another one of the statements It was called statement number three It stated that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And again, this is just blatantly contradictory to the scriptures. Sadly, 51% of professing evangelicals agreed, and 42% disagreed. There was a few uh, there somewhere in the middle that wasn't real sure what they believed, but what a sad state of affairs in America when slightly more than half, 51% of professing evangelical Christians believe that God accepts worship from Christianity, Judaism, in Islam. Folks, that is, again, completely contradictory to the scriptures. The Bible tells us emphatically that that, um, there's one way of salvation. It's through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We also know from John 4, 24 that God was looking, he's looking for worshipers, for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God in a false religion. You can worship a distorted view of God. You can worship a a, a man made God or a demon, uh more more likely. But but those are not that's not true biblical worship, and that is not the biblical God. A um, few verses if you want to follow up there uh on that. Uh, John twelve forty eight, John three thirty six, John three nineteen. Again John twelve forty eight, John three thirty six, John three nineteen, also John four twenty four and we did end after that looking at something that was actually positive we saw that 91% of professing evangelicals uh, who responded to the survey said that god counts a person as righteous not because of their works but because of the works or rather but because of one's faith in jesus christ so god counts a person as righteous not based on one's works but only uh, only on uh, one's faith in Jesus Christ, and that that's true. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man boast. We are saved not by our works, but by the working of another, and that was Jesus Christ, who gave His life as um, to to be to be a propitiation for our sins. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The holy, just, perfect Lamb of God gave Himself for us, and that is the only way by which we can be saved: to believe in the name of Jesus, to 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 believe in Jesus Christ, and And um, this Jesus, the biblical Jesus Who paid the ransom for our sins There's salvation in no one else For it was the name of Jesus uh, Only by the name of Jesus Uh, There's no other name among men given Whereby we can be saved uh, As we read about in the book of Acts So um, again, that covers what we looked at last time In part one So there's you a quick review Um, That was a little bit longer than 30 seconds (laughs) Uh, I always get stuck in a time warp But here we go Let's move on to some new ground here We see that um a couple things here. There there is another positive, this, this being that ninety seven percent of the surveyed evangelical Christians agree that there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Um, That is a great finding Only 3% disagreed There was no ambiguity here People either believed in the majority By far 97% believe in our triune God Only 3% who were Self-professing evangelicals Denied this um, idea This notion of the Trinity So there's a statement here It says strangely while most evangelicals Strongly believe in justification by faith alone Which is what we ended on last time It says that they are confused About the person of Christ On one hand virtually evangelicals express support for the Trinitarian doctrine. And I know the word Trinitarian, this is off of the survey here, but just for a moment, I know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And it goes on to say, the statement here in the survey says, um, at the same time, while they support the Trinitarian belief, at the same time, most agree that Jesus is the first and greatest created being um, by God. And so um, that is... The views that are rooted in um, a false heretical idea um, from an ancient heretic by the name of Arius, and so in the second century, uh, Arius and his followers, his beliefs, his ideologies, what we uh, what came to be known as Arianism, um, this. Uh, idea that that uh really is the root of of modern day apostolicism um apostolicism, I'm not sure that's even a human word, but the apostolic faith, um Pentecostalism. I know that one's a word, but these these uh these sects uh, uh within Christendom they deny the triunity of God. They deny the Godhead. They denied the Trinity and um they believe firmly um, in the unity of God, and we as well do, even Trinitarians, those who believe in the Godhead, we affirm that just as the Lord God uh, de- revealed himself um, to Israel, Deuteronomy 6, four, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. He is one. He is one God. And so we affirm that. But we understand that God is one in essence. There's one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's revealed himself in three persons, not not three different modes of the same person, no, there's one essence that is God who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has all three simultaneously, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons simultaneously, one essence that we know as God. This is the biblical, this is the ancient, the historic Understanding of the Godhead, we use the word Trinity to describe that. Um, triunity I, is a word that I prefer. Actually, it speaks of the fact that there are three in one. Tri being three, uh, unity um, being one. Obviously, um, but this is this is the teaching of Scripture, and again, modalism. Even though it's professed by some today, it is flatly, uh, blatantly uh, incorrect. It is it is simply wrong. And and to believe differently is, is very dangerous because we're then denying who God is. We're denying the nature of God, the essence of God, and um, we are in danger then of worshiping a false God created by man. But I want you to turn if you're able, not if you're driving, but if you're able to turn. I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 14. We happen to be teaching through this on Sunday mornings at Grace Point at Eagle Heights Church in Orange, Texas, where I pastor. but um, we have just finished up in fact this past week these uh, two weeks ago these verses. Um Here, but in John 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus is speaking and he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now see Jesus speaking to his disciples here from that upper room. Uh, He is talking to them just right before he is about to go and allow himself to be crucified. To become uh, dead To be buried And then to rise again From the grave Three days later Conquering death Conquering hell And sin Providing a way So that um, anyone May call on the name Of the Lord And be saved For God so loved the world The Bible tells us In John 3.16 That whoever uh, Would believe in him Would not perish But have everlasting life Or eternal life And that's why Jesus came Lived a sinless life Um, He was tempted in all ways And yet without sin He knew no sin Um, He lived perfectly He died um in in a, a manner substitutionary manner so that he being perfect and sinless was able to take on our sin um one one biblical writer says it this way that that uh he he became sin for us. He took on sin for us. And, and it doesn't mean that he sinned, no, um, but he carried the weight of our sin so that he crucified and defeated sin. Um, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. We could go on and on and on about this, but, but that's what Jesus did. And so um, after that was right about to happen, and he was warning his disciples in John 14 that that was coming, but he was telling them that, look, he, he was going away, but it was good for him to go away because he, his going away would allow the Holy Spirit to come. Now, I heard someone say, uh, someone who was Pentecostal in background, say that. See, Jesus had to go away so that He could change into the Holy Spirit and come back. No, that is ludicrous. That's not the case at all. Jesus went away and the Holy Spirit came. That does not imply in any fashion that He changed modes. Absolutely not. Again, John fourteen sixteen and seventeen. In those two verses alone, we see that the Son is praying to the Father. So, the Son on Earth, God in the flesh, praying to the Father who is in Heaven, just like Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray in matthew um, chapter uh, chapter six, verse ten, He says, "Pray then, therefore, in this way, our Father." Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was praying to his Father, and he says, I will ask the Father, and then He will give you. So Jesus prays to the Father, verse 16, and then the Father is going to give the helper, who is the, the Spirit of truth, who we come to find out is the Holy Spirit, uh, a little bit later here in John fourteen, fifteen and sixteen, he clarifies even more so. But the Son, then we see praying to the Father, the Father giving us the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit abiding with his disciples. disciples. Disciples at that time, but he would be, um, he would be abiding in them, and that was Jesus pointing to the fact that on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit was going to come in a way that he had not come before. Prior to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit abided with believers, but after Pentecost, believers now have the Holy Spirit abiding inside. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, but it's God's Holy Spirit taking up residence in the believers. And praise God, what a glorious thing that is! Uh, Romans tells us a little bit about that It says in Romans 8 verse 9 That um, you're not in the flesh but in the spirit If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ He does not belong to him Folks, if you're a Christian God's Holy Spirit The spirit of Christ Takes up residence inside of you And praise God for that What a glorious thought that is But but we see, therefore, all three persons of the godhead trinity all three persons of the one essence of god father son and holy spirit all seen there identified by jesus as he is talking there to his disciples in john 14 but if you have time go ahead and look now at matthew matthew chapter 3 also verses 16 and 17 so we were in john 14 verses 16 and 17 now matthew 3 verses 16 and 17 Matthew 3 we see this that after Jesus or rather after being baptized Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him and behold a voice out of heaven out of the heaven said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so also in those two verses Matthew 3:16 and Matthew 3:17 we see firstly the son is baptized in verse 16 That's what's happening. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water. So he's immersed down into the water. He comes up out of the water. So there's Jesus physically, God in the flesh, the Son of God, eternally God, but the Son of God now. Jesus, all right, God in the flesh. Um, He is being baptized physically, comes up out of the water. And verse 16 tells us that the Spirit descends as a dove. It doesn't say it turns into a dove or or, or something like that. It just says descending as a dove. So he comes down. So we see Jesus physically on earth. We see the Holy Spirit descending down upon Jesus. And then the Father, God the Father, speaking from heaven from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so again we see god the essence of god in three persons father in heaven spirit descending upon jesus and then jesus himself the son of god who was being baptized all three persons of the godhead trinity our triune god are there now And talking with um, a Pentecostal friend of mine, I asked about this verse, how do you explain away in your oneness Pentecostalism and the ideal that God is three different modes of, of the one God, you know, not never Father, Son, Holy Spirit at the same time was how he was trying to explain it. I said, well, how do you explain this? Was Jesus just doing a parlor trick by throwing his voice? Did he perform some illusion, making this um you know dove come out of the sky and follow him uh it just it makes no sense that would make mean Jesus was deceptive. He was deceiving his followers and and a deceptive Jesus a lying Jesus is not any God that we would want to serve that's nonsense that's ludicrous. That is not the biblical Jesus. Jesus told the truth and uh, over and over again. He always declared the truth. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And and uh, there's there's no other way to get to heaven. Jesus is not a liar. He was not deceiving. He was showing us clearly something that I, I, I confess is mind-boggling. It's, it's, it's just out of the reach of our comprehension. How can God be one essence in three persons? Well, I can't explain it any more than saying it's what the Bible teaches. One essence is God. And yet we see Father is God, the Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. The Son's not the Father, the Father's not the Son, the Father's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Son. Um, You see where I'm going with this? They are one essence but three persons. And thank the Lord, 97% of evangelicals, though they may not be able to explain it perfectly, they believe that there is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The sad part came in the next statement, statement number six, I believe it actually is in the report. It says that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And sadly, again, 78% here agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Um, 18% disagreed, and there were a few in there that didn't uh, quite know what they believed. Just a few percent there uh, who were not sure, but... Folks, folks, this is wrong. This is blatantly wrong. Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is eternally God. And in fact, um just very quickly if you want to look at John chapter one, verses one, two, and three, and then verse fourteen. <coughs> excuse me. John 1, one says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. You see, it goes on to say in verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of men. But then verse 14 skips down and says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What those few verses are telling us is that Jesus was in the beginning with God the Father. In the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus, and the word was with God all right, there's part there's there's father and son part of the there's two parts of the essence of God father and son. And it goes on to saying the word was God. So it's not just that Jesus was another God. It's that Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God and he was God himself. And verse two again, he was in the beginning with God in the beginning. He already was. Jesus was not created. He's the uncreated creator. Now in Colossians there's a, a verse, if we're not careful and interpret it, we might get the wrong idea that Jesus was created. We read this in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following. It says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, if we just stop there and we didn't look back and think, okay, wait a minute, this sounds to contradict what John said in John 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14. So what does this mean? Well, the word um, that's translated firstborn here is... Uh, comes from the root, which means preeminent. What it's telling us is that Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. He's preeminent over the creation. And why? Look at verse 16. For by him, all things were created. He's preeminent over creation because he is the agent of creation. By Jesus, all things were created, both in heavens and on earth. Earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things; He's preeminent before all things. Think of it this way: Um, in the uh, Old Testament, we we read about um, um, the rights of the firstborn, and the firstborn son would have uh, the right to the bulk of the inheritance. And um, uh, that's this ideal here: Uh, when the father passed, the the son. Uh, I'm talking earthly now. Uh, the son would be the recipient of all of the inheritance. He would have the rights of preeminence. Well, Jesus, in that in that regard, he's preeminent over over the creation. It's, it doesn't mean that he was the first one created. It means that he's preeminent over because he himself is the creator. And it says the firstborn in verse 18. He's uh, – well, I'll read the whole thing. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now, someone might say, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't the first one brought back from the dead. Lazarus, what about that little girl too? Well, that's true. But listen, Jesus was the first one that was born um, – I don't want to say born again, but he was, he was in a resurrected body. It was his resurrected body, um, and he was resurrected to never die again. Uh, The little girl, sadly, had to experience death again. Lazarus, even, uh, the friend of Jesus, he himself had to die again. Physically, he had to taste death. Jesus resurrected, and that body will never taste death again. Never. He's the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. In everything. Um, In verse 19, even says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of what? All the fullness of deity to dwell in Jesus. What is it saying that Jesus is fully God? He always was fully God. He's the uncreated creator. In fact, Hebrews 1 2. Hebrews 1 2 says, uh, uh, In these last days, he, meaning God, has spoken to us by his Son, uh, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom, or through whom, excuse me, he also made the world. What is that telling us? Well, Jesus is, is the agent of creation. He's the creator. He's the one through whom the world was made. He's the uncreated creator. And so that is who Jesus is. He 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 never was not. He always was. And folks, listen. Uh, what's sad is that so many again, seventy-eight percent believe Jesus is the is the greatest. Which that part's good. But the first and greatest created being. Now, hopefully, uh, we'll find out that that these evangelicals just misunderstood. Maybe they thought this meant that he was preeminent. But the way it's written, it sounds as if people wrongly believe Jesus is a created being and that's what the jehovah's witnesses believe for instance that jesus was created and and folks that is not the case jesus is the uncreated creator so what what we need folks is for is for pastors and leaders and, and sunday school teachers and and yes at sunday school people still need bible study uh, we don't need groups where we just do activities together although that's okay people need to study the bible together we need to read the bible and we don't need to talk about what we think the bible means we need to to decipher we need to uncover uh, through p- proper study and hermeneutics and those things what the bible actually means folks listen you don't have to guess at what God's saying. If we will read things in context, it's very clear. God's not speaking in code. Uh, he's speaking to us in a fashion that we can understand words sentences paragraphs chapters books these entire letters that are given to us in in the in the holy bible they, there is a message to them and it's our job to rightly understand that message and so it's not what it means to us it's what does it mean what does god mean when he says that uh, there is that jesus is the way the truth and the life and there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name given under heaven whereby man can be saved what does it mean uh, when When the Bible says such things, what does it mean um, when when the Bible says uh, – I'm trying to think, oh, like in Acts. Let's go to to, – no, go to John, just John chapter 1. Wow, I'm getting excited here. John chapter 1. Where it says in John 1, verse 12, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What does it mean to be born of God? It's the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John, that Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It goes on to tell us in John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him, meaning Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, there is one way to be saved. And it's time that our churches, that our ministers, our preachers, it's time that Christians began to to teach this again. The results of this survey sadly show a pressing need for Christians to be taught theology, and specifically Christology, the the, the study of Christ, the doctrines of, of Christ. Um, not just what Christ taught, but who he is who who he, who 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 how he revealed himself to us in the scripture as as a hundred percent God and one hundred percent man he 's the God man, we need to study Jesus, we need to know Jesus because folks listen to get the wrong Jesus is to be wrong for an eternity, to believe in the wrong Jesus is to perish for an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. folks, we need. Christians need to get back to theology, to study the Word of God. Now, we are out of time here today on this episode of Contenders Radio, but we'll be back again with you soon. So let me just say this with the last few seconds we have. If you have a question concerning your salvation, I would encourage you to reach out to us. You can find us through the website at contendersradio.com. Contendersradio.com or my name, kevininman.org. That's Kevin, K E V I N, Inman, I-N-M-A-N dot O R G, Kevininman.org. You can reach out to us through the website on the contact page, and I would be glad to answer questions as I'm able. And um, if I don't know the answer, I'll let you know and I'll look at it, look for it. Maybe we could look for it together. Uh, But I am not all-knowing, but my God is. My Lord God is, and He has given us everything we need in Scripture, everything we need for life and for godliness. And so that's where we'll look for the answers is in the Word of God. But I encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, If you don't mind, uh, this has been a blessing to you. Go ahead and share this program or other programs uh, across your social media with your friends and whatnot, and uh, that would be great. And we'll be back next time with another episode of Contenders Radio. Until then, God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to today's broadcast of Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. For more information on this or other broadcasts, please log on to our website, contendersradio.com. That's contendersradio.com. You can also find us on the web at kevininman.org. That's kevininman.org. There you will find podcast episodes, blog posts, study helps, and more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again for listening. And may God bless you in your pursuit of the truth.